Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's conversation here at Feeling Film. I'm Patch, one of your hosts, and with me in my corner is my tag team partner, my best friend and co-host, Aaron Vaughn. Well, okay, maybe I don't need to give you that last name. No, please don't. I do not want to be cursed for the rest of my, well, I don't want to have a short life because you cursed me. That being said... Aaron Von Eric. It does sound pretty sick. Like like the way it that it rolls off the tongue alliteratively. Yeah. Like my yeah. name's better than theirs for their last name. I would have been I, a hit simply because of my name. Yeah, but could you carry a crowd? Could you pick up a mic and, and go like the rock on them? I mean, Zach Efren was like a high school basketball and musical star, and he couldn't. So I don't feel any shame in saying, no, I couldn't either. (laughs) Okay, well, (laughs) we'll just leave it at the name then. That'll give you cool points for that, for potential cool points. (laughs) Well, we're finishing up 2023 with another biopic, The Iron Claw, centering around the four Von Erich brothers, uh, this famous wrestling family from the NWA days, of the 1970s and 1980s. Uh, this was a surprise kind of um, thing for me. I, I'd seen the trailer for it about a month ago, and I was like, this looks pretty good. Having idea, no idea about what or who it was about until my wife said, oh, yeah, the Von Erichs. I'm like, what? And this really? Is a product of, <laughs> Wait, what? Uh, marrying... Yeah, <laughs> we'll get into that. But that's, it's a, a partly a product of marrying someone four years older than you. At this point, we're going to go spoiler- Riffic into the movie, so catch it coming to theaters here in the next week or so, or on demand, depending on when you're listening to this podcast. Hopefully, you've already seen it, or you're just listening to us talk, which, cool, you know, as we say, you know, as long as we get listeners, if you've seen the movie, great. If you haven't, okay, just keep rolling with it. So, here we go. I want to talk first, Aaron, about a little bit of history with um, wrestling. The, you and I are about the same age. I grew up having two phases of wrestling i had the in the present 80s with wrestlemania 3 being kind of my first big like aha thing of like oh wow yeah you got hulk hogan fighting andre the giant and you've got the royal rumble and you've got all these superstars that were coming through uh at, at the time it was called the wwf and and then it just sort of tapered off because i grew up I became a teenager and i kind of grew out of that and then um into my, I guess, junior year of high school, I became friends with someone from high school who was dating a guy who moved from Pennsylvania to be with her. And he was really into like the Monday Nitro, WWF Raw, and Monday nights, because I had no life, he would invite me over with Slim Jims, Doritos, and two liter Coke. And we would watch two hours of WCW Nitro and then kick over to the last hour of Monday Raw. So I really had sort of a renaissance of wrestling with him. Uh, we got pay-per-views together. We invited a bunch of his friends over. It was it was pretty phenomenal. Like this was like awesome to, to the point where my dad at one point was like, are you into girls anymore? And I was like, dad, that's not cool. I mean, I'm having like fun here. And that lasted, I think, through the, my freshman year of college. And then I eventually tapered off and I've sort of kept in touch. But 
I was really appreciative of what became known as the Monday Night Wars between WCW Nitro and WWE. And then eventually Vince McMahon just basically bought the whole thing. And now all of it's on Peacock. So you can watch any, like if you're thinking about, hey, what happened in WrestleMania 2? Well, just queue it up. It's right there. So I've learned to appreciate the theatrics, the sports entertainment, as it's called, of, of wrestling, specifically the WWE brand. But it's always a lot of fun to go back and sort of watch some of these older pay-per-views that I remember watching for the first time, um, just to just kind of throw a little bit of love at uh, Peacock because WWE Network was its own entity. NBC sort of picked it up and bought it or put it under its its little flagship. There are a ton of great documentaries about different wrestlers, uh, different storylines. There's a great, I kid you not, 19-part documentary on the Monday Night Wars, and it's 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 just really fantastic, very obviously in depth. But um, but yeah, that was kind of my extent. I didn't really have a lot of affiliation with uh, with the Von Erich brothers. This was kind of a little bit before my time, before I would say wrestling got more mainstream and rock and roll. And uh, I wanted to ask, were you into the same stuff I was? Were was this all like oblivious to you, or or am I am I do I have a kindred spirit when it comes to to wrestling? I'm still hung up on the fact that you were literally snapping into a Slim Jim when you were watching wrestling uh, and (laughs) Macho Man Randy Savage back in the day. Dude, yeah, advertisements (laughs) got it. They got me. They got me, man. (laughs) Talk about perfect, like, advertisement synergy with a a person to to do that star. Um, I absolutely am not a kindred spirit, not even close. I (laughs) spent most of my life rejecting wrestling in the early years when I was a kid and the people that enjoyed it to me were not real sports fans. I thought that they were ridiculous. It was almost like, I mean, these are thoughts and feelings I probably would not have today, but you know, it was almost like a different group of kid. Uh, You'd have your jocks, you'd have your nerds, you'd have your theater kids and people would look down on theater kids for, being into music and stuff, well, I would look down on wrestling kids for being into what is like fake, as you can see. In my, my <laughs> it's scripted. Here. It's all fake. Scripted. But uh, this is before <laughs> I understood what what it was, and I think I never did fully grasp or I guess buy into the scripted nature of it as entertainment. I did go through a period where I would say. Maybe early 2000s. It's really hard for me to pin the right time, but there was a short two or three years I remember very vividly where I did watch it regularly every week and I was into the pay-per-views. Frankly, I've done this with pretty much every sport that exists, Patrick. I've had phases like this with UFC many times where I've gone through runs where I just watched it religiously and went to all the paper, watched all the pay-per-views, and then I just don't even follow it for six years or seven years in a row. Uh, my guy was Chris Jericho, so I was just, I remember being a big Chris Jericho yeah. fan. I loved <laughs> his finishing moves. You know, he had multiple finishing moves, I thought, which I thought was awesome, because he had, like, the Walls of Jericho and oh, a yeah. Lion Salt, and he had these different ways. I think he had the Code Breaker, too. Like, most people only had one. For me, though, and he, he's just the guy I, like, latched onto. And and also, I think because I tend to, in most sports, I will pick when I am not predisposed to have a team like Arkansas, I would always pick something that was not a favorite. So I'm not the guy who's going to start watching wrestling and be like, oh, I'm a rock fan or I'm a 
you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin fan because that's what everybody else was. I wanted to pick somebody and root for them who was good, but then kind of was going to work their way up and be a contender. And so I got to go through that experience with him a little bit. And that was a blast. And I enjoyed that. But ultimately, yeah, for me, it eventually wore pretty thin pretty quick with the theatricality of it being what it is. I, I still do sometimes wish I was into it. I don't have space in my life by any stretch of the imagination for this at this point. But, you know, when I'm, I'll am i be sitting in movie screenings and there are a little small group of guys in our screening uh, press group that talk about wrestling all the time. They'll watch it and they'll, they'll be sitting there before a movie catching up and I kind of wish I could be part of those conversations and know what the heck they're talking about because uh, yeah. I'm lost on everybody that's part of this entertainment property sport thing now. Yeah, it, I mean, it's its own culture for sure. I mean, like any sport or entertainment or, um, you know, soap opera, my wife, she will kind of recap what happens in the daytime soaps because when we got married, she had sort of stayed up with Days of Our Lives. She watched it growing up and when she uh, she had surgery on her hand, she was able to, you know, that plus TiVo equals I can now catch up on all my stories, as people call them. And so there's there's a culture of people that have a connection to that. And I had that with with the more probably more so in the high school era when you had the Monday Night Wars, when Jericho was up and coming at WCW. And then of course he migrated over to WWE and became Monday night Jericho, which was a phenomenal like transition kind of, uh, produ- you know, uh, production of his, of his character. I was always a, uh, I love the luchador. So Ray Mysterio jr. Was, was my guy. I always loved watching him fly around and he was also very small. So when you put him up against the giant, he would just get you know, pummeled, but it's so cool to see how these act actors, these athletes, have migrated and evolved over the course of you know 10 15 20 years and how they've set the bar i was watching um, an episode of a tv series called uh, i think the dark side of the mat is what it is because uh sort of led me down a rabbit hole from watching this movie and my son came in we were watching i was watching one of the episodes on the uh the marriage of macho man randy savage and miss elizabeth right and he was like, who's that? And I told him and I said, you know, this guy and a guy named Hulk Hogan, the reason that you love John Cena and The Rock is because these guys and these other big personalities that came before them. This is how we get characters like Dwayne The Rock Johnson and John Cena and big personalities, which I think, in all honesty, have sort of made their way into the personalities of big budget blockbusters. I think that's part of the reason, small part, uh, but part of the reason why we have success in superhero movies, why you have a Jason Momoa playing Aquaman, how that works, because I think he had, um, you know, folks before him, big personalities like a John Cena who were able to look great on the big screen and have just these huge kind of presences in the uh, in the audiences that they've they're bringing forward, so it's really cool. It's it's neat to see how they've crossed over, and uh, that could be a whole different conversation. But as I hinted at before, my wife, who is four years older than me, but doesn't look it. If you if you know her, she was telling me about the Von Erichs, and I was like, I don't know them. She goes, Oh man, they were huge in our family. Like her brothers loved them. It makes She's a whole lot of sense. Also from Texas. Yeah, that's exactly right. So understanding 
Um, and and the, the Monday Night Wars, the documentary on uh, on Peacock, really kind of gives a great overview of the history of how we get WCW and WWE as the two big ones. Part of that was NWA was bought out at some point and sort of merged and became it's – it's a long explanation, but better told by them than me. But yeah, NWA was the big thing in the South. It was the big promotion. You had several different um, folks, including – uh, including Fritz doing these promotions, bringing these young wrestlers up and becoming superstars regionally. And so for, for Krisha and her family, this is who they saw. I mean, there was no WWE or WWF at the time. There was no WCW. There were these regional promotions that you latch onto. And so it created this great conversations. We were watching like, well, who did, you know, who did you like? Well, I didn't really, she didn't really care for really any of them, but they all said that, um, that uh, that Carrie was the one, and that and it's consistent with what I've been watching and reading about about the Von Erichs. Like he was the face of the wrestling world. He was the considered the most talented. He had the most longevity, and I think the movie sort of depicts that a little bit in in a in an accurate way. But yeah, they they loved watching them. They loved uh, just growing up and, and checking them out on on Saturday mornings. So watching this movie for me, it course took me back to my my wrestling entertainment days but i i found the spin on this this idea of a curse really really interesting and it got me asking the question you know aaron do you do you believe in curses based off of like kind of what you're seeing here and, and the 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 real life events that took place do you think that was something that was that was real or imagined that you know how did that kind of how did the movie depict that in terms of like its reality versus like the maybe the self-fulfilling prophecy? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really depicted well, obviously, as a through line, specifically with Kevin and Zach Efron giving what I feel is the best performance of his life so far. And it's tremendous to me, just the way that he completely has transformed himself in this movie away from the teen idol man that he grew up as i mean he he's unrecognizable to me in this movie comparatively to high school musical you know or even like the greatest showman that pretty boy he's gone it works so well here and i think you know he's the whole thing's a melodrama but he is that key to the whole curse type of uh, storyline here and i think it's fascinating i understand why <laughs> people might start to feel cursed because of the situation. I would say that while I found it really entertaining and really well made in the way that it puts that out there as this idea. And it, and, it, and I think Durkin who write, wrote and directed this seriously, it it's, it's pretty brilliant because he smartly throws in all of these different characters that kind of view it in a, in a kind of opposing way. Like Lily James, who plays Kevin's wife, and there's that great scene when they're at, they're dating their first date or whatever, and he's talking about the curse, and she's like, "No, it's not. You're not cursed, and it's not." And he says something about luck, and she's not saying not just bad luck either. She's like, "Things just happen." And then you have the religious figure and the mom, um, who's kind of got a different view on it. She's praying and believing that what is happening is sort of divine in a way and so there's these different approaches to 
life and explaining what happens to us. It's what we all do, right? That's what religion's all about in a, in a big in a lot of ways. Like, is trying to explain what we don't understand and put put something into it to where we can find meaning. And I think the movie does a great job of depicting that. My personal views are obviously no. There's no such thing as the curse in this situation. And part of why I couldn't go all the way with this movie, Patrick, and the way I really wanted to. And I watched it the second time right before we started talking tonight. And I really confirmed how much I really do love it. But I'm held back by a few things. And one of them is the movie itself leans into, I I believe, a viewpoint, a perspective by the director that these people are getting a raw deal and while we'll talk about why some of that is due to parenting yada 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 there are a lot of things in this film that speak to me and say you guys made choices and your choices had consequences and that's not cursed and it's not even just necessarily bad luck because you guys put yourself in position to have some of this stuff happen to you and I guess I have a little bit of a disconnect with I'm not, I mean, not as sympathetic as most people would think I should be about this. Does that make sense? That's where I'm at on the curse yeah. side. Oh, no. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> it, it definitely makes sense. And as I've read more and watched more about the Von Erich family, I think that the notes that are hit are accurate. We We continue to talk about this with biopics. What are you leaving in? What are you taking out? And how do you navigate the fact that you're not, as a director, going to or should tell the entire story, but capturing the idea. And I, like you, from a thematic standpoint, from a cinematic standpoint, I love this idea of this family that latches on to the question, why is this happening? And this is the explanation. You're absolutely right. A person's faith, a person's belief system, any way that they can help explain un explainable events is normal it's natural it's appropriate um i think that the i think that the um the cautionary tale here is how do you respond to that and i think that's what this movie is is really exploring is if the premise from fritz is this family's cursed his origin of that is because he never made it he was getting a raw deal and the same kind of thing happens with each one of the brothers as we start seeing them move through their life. And I think part of what the director is trying to do is he is – I don't think he's trying to create sympathy for this family. I think sympathy is already there if you know what happened. And believe me, this movie pulls punches when it comes to the tragedy of this family, okay? So just to give a little bit of insight, there's actually, beyond the brother that died before every other brother was born, there's actually a youngest brother that's not even mentioned in this movie. He was, I think, so like he was shorter. Sixth? A sixth brother, yeah, named so Chris. Jack, Jack was the, oh, wow. Jack was the first, and then there's the, there's the four, and then there's the sixth brother, Chris. He tried to wrestle... But he had asthma uh, because of the medicine he was taking. His bones were really fragile. What? One of his first wrestling matches, he broke his arm or something like that. I can't remember specifically. 
but he ended up taking his own life too. And the director is on record of uh, saying that, you know, we wanted, that was a hard decision for us not to include him, but we created some of the, the, the personality of him and we put it into Mike because some of those, because Mike sort of encompasses that lone brother that wasn't quite like his others. Right. So, so three of them committed suicide in real life. Yes. Goodness gracious. Also, Fritz died of cancer, and there is a, I believe, I haven't seen the episode yet, I need to, but that dark side of the mat, Kevin is on record as saying at one point after after uh, after Carrie kills himself, he is confronted, I don't know how far apart this is, but he recalls a time when he was confronted by his dad, who held a gun in his face, like, you know, held a gun to him and said to his son, it takes more guts to die than to live or something like that. And this is when Fritz was, you know, diagnosed with cancer. And, and, uh, and I think it was, I think it was Kevin who, who he was talking to. Yeah, obviously because everybody else had passed away anyway. Um, so Kevin, Kevin's relationship with his dad was never like, it was a lot more volatile than even that, that the movie depicts and I say all that to say that if you showed all that, if you put all that into a movie, first of all, it would just become a documentary. It would not be a theatrical story. But I think what Durkin's intent was, was to show pockets of what a life with this kind of belief and those kinds of outputs can translate into an individual's mind and heart. And so when we get Efron's performance as Kevin, we're following him like it's his it's not just his story, but he's the one that we're being funneled through and to see how he reacts to the deaths of his brothers, you know, not wanting his son to have the Von Eric name because he believes this, not wanting to stay in the same house with his wife because he feels like it's communicable. I don't know if all that stuff actually happened, but I think for dramatic purposes, it it really emphasizes this impact of if you believe something enough, then it becomes not only self-fulfilling prophecy, but it becomes dangerous to other people around you. And I think that's where the success of this movie lives, is not in the fact that we get a sympathetic tale. We get a lot of incompleteness, but I think that's by design. I don't think Durkin's trying to catalog every death and every harsh moment. I think what he's trying to, to show us is the perspective of one brother, the lone brother who is left, the one who is not a brother anymore, as he is quoted as saying, and allowing us to live this life through him and maybe getting at the end saying, was I really cursed? Now, the end of the film indicates not so much because we see kind of the life that that happened after that. But I really find enjoyment from a just from a spectating standpoint of how Durkin puts us in the mindset of of Kevin as he battles through being overshadowed, being um, you know told that you can't sell the business, even though his livelihood depends on it, but how this business apparently matters more than his livelihood. And so I think in a lot of ways, there were things that I felt were missing, but after seeing and knowing the full story, or at least the bigger strokes of of, of narration here, I get why certain things were left out, not just because of time. It's a two-hour movie, 
but because of, I think, what the intent of what Durkin was trying to do. Yeah, I mean, that's fascinating stuff. Makes me certainly want to dive in and, and get a full reading on the whole story as well. It's best moments for me are definitely when the brothers are together. I think that's when this movie shines. Yeah. The opening hour, particularly before the tragedies start piling up pretty quickly, because once they start, it's like just boom, 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 boom. But just what I think about when I walk away from this movie, if, if I was to like close my eyes and you said, think about the Iron Claw. You know, I think the first image that pops into my head is Kevin, David, and Carrie. And I can't remember. I think and Mike floating down the river on yeah. the inner tubes. Yeah. Right after they pick up Mike from his practice, they make jokes about how he's at orchestra practice because they're obviously, he's lying to his mom. They're all helping him lie to his mom so he can be in a band. And he's like, I want to get brothers and I'll get a, I'll get a brother with you, little brother. And then they're just sitting there eating bro or not Carrie. It's uh, it's Mike, Kevin and David at that point. It's before Carrie comes home and they go get burgers and they go float the river. And like, those are the moments that this move. And, and that is what makes this so good to me because it really does a phenomenal job of setting up what Kevin tells us in the movie when he's on that date <laughs> and he's like, what do you want to do? And he's like, oh, no, spend time. What do you like to do? I like to spend time with my brothers. Doing what? I don't really care. Just spend time with my brothers. But like he's so simple-minded, it's adorable. Not in a unintelligent way, but just literally in a simple. Like I know that people use the word simple to mean not smart, but he is just – he is very okay with not a not a power – a big life. Cause, and she, she confronts that, of course, but she's like – well, I want to have kids by this age, and I want to be a vet, and I want to do this, and I want to have a house, and I want to, blah, 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 blah. you know, she is like, she has a plan. And he's like, cool, I could do that. That sounds fine, you know, but like, can my brothers come? You know, like, and I, I but I love it. It sounds like I'm making fun of him, but really not. No. I, I admire yeah. it. I admire the simplicity and the beauty of the relationship between the boys. And because of it being so established or established so well, that is why my heart breaks more than anything when I see their relationships falling apart as well as obviously the tragic ends of most of their lives. Yeah, and I think it's that family dynamic and the bond that these four brothers have, the appeal of it, the cheering that we have, like, yes, stay together. The irony is that all that's triggered by Fritz as the patriarch, like the way that he is depicted again he's not this slave owner necessarily he's very much i kind of got colonel parker vibes from him in that he's very slick in how he talks he never or rarely ever yells it's always just sort of demonstrative like one of the first moments that i kind of opened my mouth and said what was when the boys are at the Three of the boys are at the breakfast table with the great like eggs and bacon spread and whatever. And I think it's it's Mike who's like, uh, <laughs> he's like, well, I'm not the strongest, but I sure can't eat more than anybody else. And Fritz starts talking about the brothers and he says something like, um, I think he says, uh, let me find it. Uh, where's my notes here? He says, now we all know Carrie's my favorite, then Kevin, then David, then Mike. But the rankings can change. Everyone can work their way up or down. And I was like, what? Did you just 
did you just like give your sons like numeric value like quantitative value did you put them on the ncaa like rankings list who's going to make the playoff i mean this is this is nuts and i turned to christian she was like that's weird but then later on doris is kind of the same way in that she is very passive even though she's got this spiritual like mold everything is about you brothers need to work it out you know, this is not this is not between. I'm not going to do that. In fact, at some point, I think it's um, I think it's Kevin who says, "Hey, you need to talk to Dad. He's too hard on Mike." And he's like, "No, that's between them." Even when he asks her, to, "Can I can I can I bother you for a minute?" Nope, nope. Go talk to your brothers about it. It's almost as if Aaron they are intentionally putting the brothers together in order to depend on one another. I don't know that that's true, but the movie depicts these two parents in a way where one is overbearing or a little bit more demonstrative in pushing his sons all to do this thing to succeed in some physical way, uh, even going so far as to like devalue Mike's ability to be a musician. Uh, like Doris is like, no, you're not going to this party. You're not doing this. Even though the brother's like, we'll take him, you know, we'll chaperone him. And then you have Doris who's more like, that's not my problem. And it, it, it really bothered me because it's like absentee parents who like, what's the point? And this is kind of an issue I had with the movie is both of those origins, like both of the motivations for both of those parents were never really fleshed out. I could sort of get Fritz's because of the fact that he never made it beyond where he was in his wrestling career. Like he wanted to live vicariously through his sons, but Doris's story is never really fleshed out in a way where I understood why is she so passive? Why is she giving the Heisman to her sons who really want her to intervene? <laughs> no one's going to know what that means. Patrick just, I'm sorry. Patrick just did the just Heisman gave... stance, which for those of you who have no clue what the Heisman award sorry. is, <laughs> it's, a, the, it's a football player and a football player award. And the trophy is the football player putting his arm out as if to block someone. So what Patrick was getting at is that Doris is pushing her kids away and not engaging with them when he said that. For those of you who have this no clue what the Heisman, giving <laughs> the Heisman to her kids. I mean, it's a great analogy for anybody who gets it, but like anybody else is like, the what? The what is that? Is that a word? Anyway, did you, you mean Heimlich? Is she trying to save it? Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> I mostly agree with you. I think it could have been better conveyed i think the movie would really run into a length problem or challenge not problem but challenge like this is a big big story to tell and i think the and a lot of characters a lot of people what i got from the mom was someone else who was a victim of the patriarchy in this family right fritz had dominated her to a point where she gave up and she, we, i think what really clues us into that is one scene towards toward the end of the film there's a couple moments about this but one where she's explaining to kevin or carrie one that she used to paint and she had a passion for it well there's there's a couple scenes there's that one there's a scene at the dinner table early on where they're all together at like a family barbecue and she tells them about how Fritz used to be in like choir and, yet, oh, yeah. and then he gave yeah, it yeah. up for football. 
And I think those scenes and then coupled with the final scene where she's he walks in and he's like, where's dinner? And she's painting and she's like, get it yourself. I think those depict a wife who was subservient to her husband because I think the intention is to tell us that it's because of a religious beliefs. I think that they're trying to tie that together, but she's being subservient to her husband and following his goals and drives and what he says should be the way their family approaches life. And therefore she is a victim as well because she has completely shut down because she can't overpower him. Like she can't win. He's going to, he's going to get his way. And so she has just learned that survival like the boys know is just to say, yes, sir. And try to please him. And, and I feel like that's the kind of woman she has become. I, I don't, it's a little off-puttingly weird because I mostly see her as a tragic character, but then there's those moments where they show her as if they're in a loving marriage at the wedding when they're flirting. And she's like, yeah, take me home, big stud. And I'm like, yeah, but you really don't seem to like the way he parents. Like, I, I don't, I, why do you still? I, so, I mean, I guess that's okay. It's, it's natural, but it, it is a little bit of a weird depiction of her i can see where you're coming from yeah and i think that both the blessing and the i don't want to say a curse that's not good don't say that sorry. <laughs> uh, i will <laughs> is the fact that for the most part we don't get a ton of screen time with either doris or fritz there aren't any like moments in fact i remember i think it was the last hour of the film or the or last 30 minutes maybe but i remember going for a length of time going where's fritz like the the whole almost the back third of the movie, we don't see Fritz until Carrie's death, or until um, until Kevin calls him to say, "Hey, I think something's wrong with Carrie," and of course Fritz does exactly what Doris does. You guys got to sort that out. And up until that point, he had been gone for a while, and I think that's by design. I think for him and for Doris, their screen time is limited to kind of indicate the fact that they don't really have any kind of parenting insight into their son's lives apart from what they see as valuable. I think that's something really interesting that I've I've picked up on. Doris and Fritz in their own way, in their passivity or in their own parental approaches don't give the brothers what they need. In some circles you would think, "Oh man, Having a solid faith, having a solid person who has this like, God's going to take care of us, that should be good. But it's almost kind of foreshadowed at the beginning when Kevin says, mom gave us God, but dad gave us, uh, get, dad gave us wrestling. But neither of those things in the scope of the story were enough or even satisfactory for them. And we see the one path being chosen either for for all of them or, as you said, their choices to follow that wrestling path. And I think some of that sympathy that you're picking up is that, oh, this curse is not really a curse. It's really Fritz just saying, you got to wrestle, you got to wrestle, you got to wrestle. But you're right. You made a great observation. There's a, there's a great moment where Carrie comes back from the trials or from, from training for the Olympics after uh, the U.S. refuses, you know, they were, they're boycotting the Russian Olympics. And he was immediately ready to go to work to wrestle. And then when 
when when David uh, dies, he's completely ready to jump in there and, and take its place. There's something at any given point any one of these brothers could have. Maybe they didn't feel like they had the power to, or they felt like they were submissive enough that they couldn't. But they they had the choice to be able to say, no, you know what? I don't want that. I don't want your life. You know, this is something that I think each one of them had the opportunity to do. Yeah. But from a very early age, I think Fritz put that in their brain that this is what matters. Nothing else does. And I think it's 50-50 in terms of responsibility, like who's to blame. I think part of it's Fritz for instilling that in them but it's it's a religion i mean wrestling is their religion and at some point you have to choose to walk away and for more than you know for three of these brothers they couldn't or didn't feel like they could at least that's how the movie depicts it i mean yeah i mean i think that's why what makes it a tragedy right is that they couldn't get out away from that and it's it would be very hard and i can say thankfully i've never had to face this with my immediate family where i had to walk away from my family but like that's essentially what they would have to do you know at one point when kevin is contemplating selling the wrestling promotion his dad's like well i didn't give it to you so you could sell it and if you do don't walk through that door people face this in real life all the time but right and he and he says one of the most evil things ever and he it's it's so ironic and so gross he says to kevin he's like you're almost 40 years old and you still can't make a decision for yourself and i'm thinking to myself he's literally telling you he's making a decision for himself that's what exactly what he's doing (laughs) like you're you are so toxic that you are trying to twist what he is saying and turn the exact truth of it into a negative to use against him like you are dis despicable I, probably my other than Zach Efron second favorite performance in the film and the other one that I really find a words worthy by the way is Holt McAnally as the as dad he I he's just tremendous at, in as depicting a southern supposedly loving father and family man that is just passively quietly just really just destroying his entire family and anyway i think i agree with you the 50 50 thing and it i can't imagine what what it would take and how hard it would be to walk away from that but but i mean they all at some point in their lives they all were also mesmerized and seduced by that idea of i wrote it down but my screen went blank on me and i can't see my notes it's (laughs) their dad says our family goal is like be tougher or be the toughest, be the strongest, have the most success. And I forget what the third one was or the fourth one was. Um, And that's how they're going to eventually rule the wrestling world. But they got addicted to achieving that goal as well. And so they threw themselves into it in various dangerous ways. Um, But it's, I mean, it's a really strong depiction of this, and I just I can't imagine yeah. how hard it would be to break out of that. Well, and I think the the good and the bad is that you have brothers that support you in that. I think if if Carrie or if Kevin had said, "Guys, there's a better life, and doesn't have to be wrestling," 
I think the other two would follow. I think David and Mike, Mike for sure. I think Mike, he needed permission. Like Mike is depicted as the guy who needs permission to do everything. Like from the, from the jump, he can't get into the bathroom because his brother's using it. He can't do this because, um, you know, he's not strong enough. His music, you know, his music career is laughed at or not ridiculed or whatever. It's, it's dismissed because he's not an athlete. But I think the bond that these four brothers have with each other is also their undoing because of the fact that they communally share the same goal. Even if one or the other or one of the one of the brothers doesn't agree, like there's that moment in the bathroom where David's like spitting up blood and he Kevin comes in and is like, dude, dude. You, you need to see a doctor. He's like, nope, no, it's fine. It's fine. I think if, if Mike had said, no, this isn't okay. You are spitting up blood. We got to do this. Let's go to a doctor. Those moments where one brother could stand up for, or stand up with another one could change the, it could vector their trajectory as whatever. And I think that would create that could have created opportunities for them to be able to stand up to their dad eventually. But because they loved each other so deeply because they wanted to be together. And Kevin specifically, when he says, I just want to be with my family, it's at the expense of physical, emotional, verbal pain that they have to deal with. And it's why we get to see moments with him specifically with Carrie, when Carrie's lost his foot and he's trying to come back and, he is working with him in the uh, in the ring, and that's juxtaposed against uh, against Mike, who is about to commit suicide. And there's this like hyper focus on the thing that is constant for them. And I think that's something that the film does really well. Is it says the one thing that doesn't change is wrestling. Wrestling is always going to be there, but it's not. That's the thing. Is by the end of the movie, the promotion is being sold. Uh, Carrie, uh, Carrie has lost the belt and he's just being hung up and doing house shows. It all will come to an end. And I think for like for a character like Fritz, he never was able to understand that or accept the fact that life has to end. In fact, in one of the documentaries that I watched, there were times even up to the moment where Mike was still wrestling after two of his brothers had had died, Fritz was still coming in to wrestle as part of a special thing. Like he'd come in to not, not to fully wrestle, but he could never give up being in the ring. And, you know, when that bleeds into your sons who all drink the Kool-Aid and then they attach that to the love that they have for each other, it just amplifies it exponentially. And that's where I can see they couldn't get out because they couldn't, I mean, how hard would that be for someone to stand up and say, hey, guys, listen, I know we love each other deeply, but I think something's not right. And maybe we should say no to this. No way. None of them are going to say that. Not because they love wrestling, not just because of that, but because of that history and what Fritz has kind of instilled in them. Yeah, I, I mean, that's <laughs> that's powerful and strong stuff. I think that I mean, this is the stuff that makes this movie so good, right? It's it's would be an incredible fictional film and tragic melodrama. But knowing that this really happened is 
just an insane to me that all of this stuff could could go through this to one family and i you know it's not all fritz's fault like you said they could have gotten out of things but he is a scary scary version of a person that i'm sure so many people have had to deal with and that people need to learn to stand up to before it gets to the point where you're throwing your life away for somebody else's dream <laughs> and not your own. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. I, I wanted to say though, I, there is a part of this movie that also really, really bothers me. And I addressed it in my review of this movie, but since that's spoiler free, I couldn't really go into detail. So I want to rant about it here. <laughs> I have a pet peeve. What or I probably have multiple pet peeves. One of my pet peeves when it comes to the way that movies depict scenes specifically is when it comes to suicide. Since this movie has multiple suicides, I was extremely frustrated with the perspective given of there's a better life on the other side and it's 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 essentially showing us suicide as being the correct option in my opinion the way the movie depicts this that's what the movie is telling us they show us a note from mike that specifically says i am going to go to a better place i can't handle being here he kills himself and then by going into this dreamlike state where we see Kevin in a boat rowing across a lake and coming upon a beach and there's Mike and there's David and then there's their little brother Jack and there's this beautiful embrace between all of them. It is a it is meant to be like a Lord of the Rings Return of the King ending gorgeous emotional powerful moment of reunion between these brothers that have had such hard lives and they are now at peace and together. I hated it. I hated it, Patrick, because it says that you made the right choice. And I, I will never, ever, ever believe that, that that is not the right choice. You, you may be in pain. I do not doubt it. One of them lost his foot again. That's what I was going back to earlier. I said, it's your consequence to your choice. Your dad didn't push you to get on your motorcycle drunk and get in a crash that took your foot away. Like that was your decision and your immaturity. You earned that, unfortunately. Um, and, and I think I just I don't know how you feel about it. So maybe it's different. and That's fine. But like it really takes a lot of the wind out of the end of the movie for me because I don't. I feel like you can depict suicide in a way that is what it is, which is a tragic, awful loss of of people. We, we shouldn't have to lose that early. It is sad, and I hate it. But I never like to see it depicted in a way that someone could watch and be like, oh, yeah, maybe, maybe I should try that because, look, it ends up – it actually is better. And, and that's how I felt when I was watching this. So, so let me ask you this. If the movie had shown that same scene, but none of the brothers had committed suicide, let's say that let's say that Carrie was killed in that motorcycle accident, 
wasn't drunk, but he was killed, like just freak accident. And let's say David hadn't, because I believe the the medical report said that his while his uh, <laughs> his death was was a a fail, I think a fail uh, uh, intestinal failure or something. It was, I think the the theory is that it was triggered by a lot of pills that he was taking. But let, let's assume that all four brothers died naturally or by no choice of their own. How would that scene play with you? Would you feel the same way? Oh, absolutely not. That's what I mean. It is a, it is from a direction standpoint, I think it is beautiful, right? The way that it's constructed, the the intent mm-hmm. of the scene in my, I can feel the rumblings of what Sean Durkin wants me to feel as an audience member, which is, mm-hmm. This is a beautiful reunion, and thank God these boys are able to be together free and away from their father and at peace and happy. But my logic pulls me out of it because then I'm like, yeah, no, uh, that's not how that works. And so, yes, I I do think if it, it would be very different if it was all much more like. I guess comp- I, I I don't want to say more tragic, <laughs> but but I, I, you know what I mean. Like I, there's just a it, yeah, it's dangerous to me. That's all. Like I just no, think it's a dangerous I, way of thinking that doesn't say I, I, suicide is the wrong choice. I don't disagree. I, I'm completely 100 percent on board with you with that. The message is is very much muddy in that regard, and it and it does in some ways when you connect the dots. Like oh, uh, death. By suicide, death by suicide, death by overdose. Because the, the the movie is essentially saying, okay, the pressure of your dad led you to either make this choice or to drink this drink or to take these pills. So it it sounds like what you're saying is that the reunion itself, genuine, yes, this is this is beautiful. And from a director standpoint, fantastic the way to the way that it's gotten there is not okay. And I think that's I, I think I can I can get on board with that. Because I think what Durkin's trying to do is he's trying to create a a yang to this yin of this tragic life of being under the thumb of this guy of Fritz. At some point, Aaron, I thought that Kevin was going to choke his dad to death. Like I thought there was going to be another death. If this wasn't a and true Fritz, story, I, I, that would have happened. Yeah, that's how I thought it was going to happen. And well. it would have been done without music. It would have been just quiet. And then yep. he would have just walked away. But I, I agree. I think because of the nature of these deaths, it it was emotionally satisfying to see them reunite and to see all these brothers get to meet their or get to see their youngest brother. At the same time, I think the movie would have been just as effective had Kevin taken his brother, put him on the table, and said what he did because we're left in the reality. But I think what Durkin's trying to do here is he's trying to create a little bit of heaven on earth. He's trying to create a little bit of fantasy with the reality to create some emotional relief to this. I And I don't disagree with that because what we get is probably – Near the end, one of my favorite moments in the movie, the one that got me teary, is when the boys Kevin says, mm-hmm. "Yeah, when when he's talking with his boys and he says, I used to be a.' And that was a, I mean, that was a quote. Kevin said that. Ugh. He's quoted as saying that. Gosh, and I love that he's got his sons who, in that moment, 
they they basically give him permission to be a human being because for however many years old he is, he's not been given permission to be a human being. The toxic masculinity from from Fritz was on him and he was able to let that go and cry with his with his two boys. And to me, that's more honest than this magical heaven in the pond moment. Uh, it didn't take it away, but I felt more authentic. I felt it was more authentic to, to end it that way. And if you'd taken the, I kind of got a moment of happy Gilmore where he's in his happy place. And, and I, I mean, Chubbs? it wasn't, it was, yeah, it wasn't long, but that's kind of what I felt in that moment. Now, again, the performances in that scene were great. There was nothing that felt cheesy. Um, I wasn't as hung up on the way in which they got there as, as you were, but I don't disagree with your perspective that that's, there's, that, there's a misconception that can be translated in that moment. Like, yeah, you know what? Life sucks. I'm going to commit suicide and then I'll go to a happy place. Mm-mm, nope. That's not necessarily true. And that's a whole different conversation. But I think that I can agree with, with Durkin's intent, maybe not with his execution there. Well, I accept that. That's, <laughs> that's we can, <laughs> I think we can meet in the middle there fairly well. I mean, yeah. I really do think this is just such an incredibly well-made movie all the way through. Yeah. yeah, most of my things are nitpicks. I I personally think Jeremy Allen White is completely miscast. That's my other beef, big beef with the movie. I'm sure people will love him. I love him and other stuff. I just I never bought Carrie's. St- it's funny that you told me Carrie was the one right of the family, because I never would have believed that from this movie. His motivations kind of lacking. He just he's he clearly wanted to be an Olympian and he comes home. He's just working out in the field and dad's like, hey, I think it's time for you to start wrestling. And he's like, OK, Paul. <laughs> and then and then all of a sudden he's obsessed with it to the point of like throwing his brother under the bus. And I'm just like, where is all this coming from? This doesn't make sense to me. Um, I think, you know, from an intelligent standpoint, I can deduce like, oh, I, the character probably. Feels like he let his dad down because. He, you know, didn't go play in the NFL or wasn't able to do make it in the in the Olympics. And so he's still trying to provide or prove himself to his father. But I, I never really felt like that. And outside of maybe the final scenes where Carrie's about to kill himself and you can really you get that pent up rage in him. But yeah, I don't know. So his, let me his, he was a little lacking to me as a character. Well, and, yeah. And which is weird when you tell me he was the one that kind of was supposed to be the best. Well, he's the, he's the one that advanced the most. Like he's the one that had a lot of Mm -hmm. the, a lot of the screen time. David is actually the one that, because he was, he, he literally stood out because he was like six foot five compared to his brothers who were like six, two and six, three. Oh, they did a good job of showing that. Yeah, they did. Yeah. And, but I think Carrie had the most charisma because he had, they they were all considered like good old boys. Like I don't get that at all carrie didn't have either to me we didn't see carrie have the most charisma or the most athletic skill we saw moments in the beginning where kevin was great in the ring and we saw moments where david clearly had the theatrical side down and carrie and i never really saw like oh this guy's a standout did i miss that no you didn't and i think that's again something that plays to the strength and one of the weaknesses of this movie for me is 
there's an abbreviated tone throughout the movie. So when you say the word probably, what you're indicating to me is that I didn't get the whole story. I'm making assumptions based off of this scene connected with this scene. And it wasn't like the stuff was left out, but it was like Durkin was moving from moment to moment and we're meant to fill in those gaps. Like take the suicides, for instance. This is where the strength of the movie, of those those edits and the subtleties and the fill in the gaps of what happened really work. We never saw someone shoot themselves. We never saw someone overdose. We hear, we see the aftermath, we see the reaction. I like that. I like the fact that we're not so stuck on let's see the suicide because that's not the point. The point is not that some how someone killed themselves. The point is that they're dead. The point is that Kevin is now mourning the loss of yet another one of his brothers. That same approach is taken throughout the movie where we're seeing some choreography. We're seeing a lot of, we're seeing a whole montage of the brothers growing up in the NWA, which is, I think, another strength. We get to see them on display. But then we see a moment where Kevin is, uh, he wins by disqualification and he's about to start talking and his brother comes in and starts becoming the the mouth. And then we're, we cut to the scene next where Fritz is like, David, great job on the mic. And now David's being kind of vaulted. So there's a lot here of like, okay, do I need to sit with Kevin for a while? Do I need to feel mad with him? Do I need to feel mad that Carrie is now uh, taking the mantle and he's going to wrestle in David's place and try to go for the title. It felt like there were pockets of incompleteness that we were meant to fill in. And in some movies, this would bother me. I'm like, well, why don't you just tell it why you're just kind of giving me little tidbits, but they all seem to work because I don't think that those were the intents of the intentions of, of Durkin. I don't think he was meant to kind of flesh all that out. Great example of where it doesn't work. Carrie comes home. He's the intercontinental champion comes home for Christmas, I think. He gives his dad the gun and his dad just puts it into the case and Carrie's like, no, you need to fire it. He's like, no, I don't want to fire it. You need to fire it, dad. Like, And I'm going, why are you getting pissed at Fritz? What, what did he do? Is this all like stuff that's built up? And then he calms down, hugs his brother Kevin, and then two scenes later, he's killed himself. So there's just there's a lot packed into this and I think that's there are times when that editing style works and there are times when it doesn't and the times when it doesn't sort of stand out a little bit more but not enough for me to go well that was a terrible editing job or I didn't understand what was going on. I could fill in those gaps. I didn't want to work that hard though. I really wanted a little bit more because we got the verge of conflict but not so much like a oh we got the the rising action and now we've got the resolution. We got the abruptness of a conflict and then we got a scene later where i guess it apparently got resolved so that was kind of my beef throughout the movie was things just didn't feel quite complete in terms of the little small conflicting moments yeah i mean i think that's totally valid as well i mean it sounds like we both are really high on it <laughs> regardless oh, yeah. oh, <laughs> i mean <yeah. laughs> I, I, i'm nitpicking to an extent here and watching it a second time really confirmed for me that it, it is just a phenomenally well-made movie um and about and it, this is an incredibly difficult 
challenge to undertake. The, the one thing we haven't talked about, and I know it's in your notes, but the wrestling, obviously, like we got to talk about the wrestling. I want to lead by just saying that the Iron Claw is stupid, and this is part of why I didn't like wrestling, is because th- there is nothing about the Iron Claw that is logical. Like, it's just dumb. It's, <laughs> it, it is entirely predicated on the person on the ground flopping and acting and flopping around like a fish and acting like something is happening that they can't stop because their body <laughs> is completely free to move. It's so dumb. It is it is the worst of the worst, like finishing moves from a logistical standpoint of being realistic. It looks really cool. <laughs> and it has a freaking awesome name. And I love the depiction of it in the movie. And I thought that one of the strengths of the film for me as someone who is a it's all fake truther is that they showed it that way. And they did a great job of showing how wrestling is a physical require, like there's a physicality required to it where you can actually get hurt and how important it is that you follow the script that you set before. There's a great scene before one of the matches early on. I think it's David's first tag team match where they're talking to their opponents and they're discussing yeah. like, okay, we're going to do this and then I'm going to hit you with it. And then, but when you do this, don't do this too hard and make sure you don't put your arm in this position. Cause it might get, you know, like that elevates wrestling in my eyes. And I think for an audience who also may just kind of write it off when they see this movie or before they see this movie, because they think it's fake. It shows you there is a lot that has to go into it to depict, depict it as entertainment in a way that is, both safe and entertaining Absolutely. and and i i just thought they did just a bang up job of, of showing that yeah i think the the best scene to explain this is when kevin's talking to pam at dinner when he's enjoying his ribs and she's like isn't it all fake <laughs> what do you want out of life <laughs> more ribs that was one of my more favorite ribs, lines. yeah it's a great line it's a great line but he talks about performance and he said look it's like like a regular job, you know, you do well, you get promoted. If you do well, you get promoted. Well, that's what the title is. That if you perform well, you'll get a shot at the title. And this is me sort of inter intertwining my own interpretation, but it's that same way. You know, not everybody is gonna get the intercontinental title or the WWE world heavyweight title. Nobody not everybody's gonna get a shot at that because a lot of what goes into it is obviously athleticism, but charisma your ability to win over a crowd, either as a heel or a face, all those things go into it. And so as a as a promotion, like Vince McMahon, who I think has been called the uh what do you call it? The um the PT Barnum on steroids. Like that's pretty much a great way to describe him. He has to look at all that in terms of creative. Like he's not just gonna give someone a shot at this. Like uh, Bret Hart was one of those great stories where he was an up and coming wrestler and started winning over the crowd. And he was like, you know what? Ric Flair needs to, needs to lose the title at some point because he's getting older and we need to be able to hand this down. So how do we do this? And he's like, let's, let's give, let's give Bret Hart a shot. And I think that that's kind of how I think it's the best way to understand a wrestling promotion and how you, you rise to the top. It's not just about getting the title. I mean, there are WWE superstars that I know of that will never have never gotten a shot at the title, but at their level, the NXT folks, you know, the younger superstars 
they're making a name for themselves and it's a career. I mean, you're, you're making a career out of this. And so the more that I read about and understand WWE the, over the years of, of getting it, I, I laugh because it is quote fake in that the outcomes are determined, but people get hurt and things happen. And sometimes like there's a, there's a famous cage match between uh, a character named mankind and the undertaker where mankind wins the title but man, he takes a beating, like an absolute beating, and he sells it. That's not fake. The performances are not fake. The outcomes might be predetermined. And I think that that conversation between uh, between Kevin and Pam is so great because it definitely gives a little bit more of an understanding of, of what wrestling is in a way that allows a common person to kind of respect it more. Okay, quick question before we end. You talked about finishing moves. Did you have a favorite? Well, I mean, all of Chris Jericho's were great. Yeah. I mean, I think, <laughs> I guess I'm a, I'm a fan, I'm a fan of the the classics, you know, I mean, the Stone Cold Stunner is, yeah, I understand why Steve Cold, Stone Cold Austin was, Stone Cold Steve Austin, sorry, was the guy of our day. Like when we were teens coming up, I feel like he was kind of the alpha. I know Triple H was up there around that time at some point and you know the undertaker people have always had their fans but the image of him as a country boy especially living in arkansas i think he's is he georgia i think he's a georgia guy if i, if I recall but i think so the yeah. way that he would come into maybe he's texas i don't know but he would come into the ring you know the whole like just cracking a beer and shaking his whole head all crazy and just the the stone cold stunner the move itself is just i, I don't know i think it's unbeatable it's it's phenomenal that and and maybe Rey Mysterio Jr.'s anything off of the ropes like was oh, yeah. <laughs> pretty impressive. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So Rey's my my favorite wrestler. Favorite finishing move, though, is the sharpshooter. I love a submission hold. And that was what Bret Hart did where he would like lean back and pull your back leg up and like make you make you sit like basically like bend your back into a pretzel. So fantastic. And it's also a great kind of moment because because he, he's like looking at the audience when he when he does it like yeah but but yeah I think the Iron Claw I agree is completely stupid but I love the theatrics of it and I think that's where great finishing moves really live is how theatrical they can be Rock Bottom is fantastic I, I mean, I'm I just don't do it like look it's like it's like I'm prone to like it's like I have a sock puppet on my hand sock puppet on my sock puppet <laughs> I can't talk a sock puppet on my hand and I'm like ah but I get you with my sock puppet ah. oh. See so now you're now you're getting now you're getting into Mick Foley area. Uh, yeah, where, well, you know, he but he's a, intentionally he had, he had campy. Yeah, like yeah, <laughs> it's funny when you're like making fun of yourself while you're doing it. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, that's going to wrap up this edition of Feeling Film. I believe Aaron Craig from Rome, but this is the last one for 2023. We're going to take a break for a couple of weeks, get through the holidays, enjoy some much needed time off. We might drop an episode before the uh, the Maybe. end of the year, but. Yeah. <laughs> Consider if we get around our, to doing our Christmas one, we may or may not. It's a matter of if we need more refreshing time or not. We're going we'll to play I'm going to watch some more wrestling stuff. I might watch some wrestling right? stuff. Right? I want to now. <laughs> I'm going to watch WrestleMania 3 after this. <laughs> so we hope you've enjoyed uh, this discussion as much as we have. Aaron, this has been great. For those of you who celebrate, have a great Christmas and uh, enjoy the rest of 2023 as much as we will. We will talk soon. Hey everyone, thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. 
We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at Film, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling filled.